Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, friends. This is your host here on Blog Talk Radio. It's K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. You know, in today's world, and really in any world at any time, it takes a lot of courage to take the path of kindness and extending kindness as opposed to doing anything else. Because sometimes when you're really kind, people make fun of you or people begrudge you or bully you. Being kind is about being loving and Love is always at the core of a solution. So I'm happy to bring you as many factors of kindness as I can possibly think of, get creative about, and deliver to you as the audience here. I am your host. This is Dr. Deb Carlin, and this is The Daily Show, which I do more days than that with my partner and co-host, Ron Williams, who is tied up in the midst of something today. And will arrive um, whenever. And, you know, I'll tell you something. It is a weird day. Today is the 3rd of November. It's a day that we've all been waiting for. It's election day here in the year 2020. And it is the national elections for the United States of America position of president. And there is an awful lot at stake. <clears throat> You know, one of the things that Ron and I did, and this is very much a repetition, but what we have said from the very get-go is he and I started talking about the state of the nation, the state of the country, the condition of the world about four months ago. So that would be about 120 days ago. And we talked about it, and then all of a sudden it was like 90 days until today, and then it was 87 days until today. And we agreed that we wanted to do something. But what is it that we as private citizens possibly have the the capacity to do? And I said, Blog Talk Radio, where I do the K-Factor. Because, quite frankly, the kindest thing that we can do is be an alternative to the news. The news, the media, the, the yelling and the screaming back and forth, the people who are going to bring you... Um, polished, industrial, um, highly publicized and politicized news, information. And as a matter of fact, it's been interesting over the course of this this year to watch what's happened to the media, isn't it? I mean, for one thing, they, they weren't in the studios for a while, and then, then they're back and they're socially distanced. But a lot of people are doing the recordings from home. So the scene that I'm doing this recording from was so, by the way, we do this both audio and visual. So we're here on Blog Talk Radio where it's audio, and then we're also simultaneously recording it as a Zoom call. So it's video, and this gets uploaded to YouTube. So here's what I want you to know. The the reality for Ron and I has been, what is it that really matters? You know, what we've seen a lot of this year is that it is BLM. It is Black Lives Matter. And anybody who's had the audacity to say all lives matter has been harassed. And initially, 
it was a little bit uncomfortable for us to even think that we could step over that line of interpreted violation to say all lives matter. But the more that we came on here and started talking to you and to everybody in our audience and to one another about what is really important to him and I, all lives do really matter. And we don't say that with any aggression or any offense. That is the truth. And that is a statement straight from God, our creator. We are all one. We were created by one. And we are all in this together. We all have the same blood. We are all humanity. We all have skin, a skeletal system, muscles, and blood. And then, of course, a whole lot more. But the point is, when you realize that all lives matter, and that if we segregate by saying one particular set of lives matter, it's really segregationist, and then it's discriminatory. Now, white people right now, and actually for decades, although there are many people who would like to argue this with me, have really been discriminated against, particularly white men. And I've been talking about this on platforms for 20 years saying, I think that we need to stop this. And my initial point was for women to stop castigating men, particularly white women castigating white men. They are our fathers and our brothers and cousins and uncles. And then they are our mates, our husbands, the fathers of our children. So why are we annihilating them? What is that about? We need to stop it. And I look for ways to introduce tenderness and understanding and reasonability into the formula anytime I'm talking about, (coughs) excuse me, kindness, love, solutions. And here on The Daily Show, where our focus has been about the goodness of the United States of America You know, it doesn't stop here in the United States. The world has watched us forever. And all eyes are on us throughout this odd year of 2020. So many following our lead, so many defying our lead. The world has become so fractured. We need something that can really be a unifying force something that can really help us awaken into a world where we've got a warm embrace for humanity and for one another. A reality where we understand enough about the global economy and the economy and the business of the United States of America, that decisions can get made by our leadership And we are smart and sophisticated enough to get a grip and understand. So when you're being in discernment to try to figure out, well, who do I vote for? And even if you've already voted, why did I vote for this person? And what is it that I'm really voting for? There's a a process. And um, in my my parish, there's a, a group of women that read together. We read a book 
couple times a year and we meet monthly. Right now in 2020, we've been meeting by Zoom. And what we are reading right now is um, God's voice from within. And it's about St. Ignatius. And St. Ignatius created a process of discernment. And it is a stepwise progression for how it is we walk through the steps of trying to determine, is this right for me? Am I really considering everything that needs to be considered? I will post this on the Ron Williams Ron Williams and Dr. Deb Carlin Facebook page that is tied to this show and introduce you to that process. There's so many things to share when it comes to how is it that we want to be as a country and how is it that we want to decide who to cast our vote for. Here's my concern. And we've been initially very open in saying we're not here to tell you that we have all the answers and we're not here to tell you who to vote for. And that's true. But I can tell you that I do have a strong, heartfelt desire to influence you to think about the implications of who you vote for. In the United States of America, we are under tremendous scrutiny for being a capitalist country. And people have said things to me like, how could you possibly be in favor of capitalism? Um, It's real easy. It is free economy. It It is a style of economy and governing that allows me to be free, to make my own choices about where I live and who I live with and how I live and how I earn money and how much of it I get to keep and how I can spend it and that I have private property. Yeah, but, but we, want, we, want, we like a socialist form, a more democratic form. Okay, democratic and socialist are not synonymous until now. And in a socialistic society, things are so-called pooled. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you do a little bit of homework, what you see is the more liberal, the more socialistic, the more Marxist it is. And Marxism is really communism. And in true socialism and true communism, you don't have your own money. You don't make your own decisions about your life. You don't. You are not allowed to own private property. Now, people in America have a very hard time believing that this is true. I remember growing up with this as a kid in grade school in the early 60s. And we would learn about what life was like in communist and socialist countries. And we were introduced to the idea of not having all those freedoms, including religious freedom. Now, we had people who came and established the United States of America because they were fleeing England because they wanted to be able to have religious freedom. And that was a really big deal for them. And as much as I thought I understood it as I was growing up, I've never understood it the way that I understand it now. Friends, our country is under attack by people who hate us. 
you can look at, at Mr. Biden and you can say, but he's one of us. He doesn't hate us. Well, I think you're correct about that. But I think that something has happened to Mr. Biden that has caused him to have a different capacity for belief and discernment about who he's associating with and what it is that they say and how duplicitous it is. And that concerns me. I can't envision my life. Flat out, I cannot envision my life, my very life, living in a governmental reign that isn't a capitalist reign. I cannot imagine living in a socialist or a communist reign. It horrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. Mr. Biden said today, as in as, as he was on one of his, his rally stops, and they're very small gatherings of people, but what he said is, the country is divided. We have Republicans and Democrats. We don't need that anymore. We need to all come together. Well, I hope that he meant it in the most American way. My fear is that he did not mean it in the most American way. What he meant it as was a socialist statement where there is only one party. So there's no reason to have elections. There's no reasons to vote because you don't have a voice. There's no opposition to what it is that's being presented. That to me is absolutely horrifying. So stop and think about it for a minute. Can you envision what it is that happens when there is no more wealth? Now, I don't understand exactly how it is that the wealthy people in this country can support a candidate who wants to see socialism happen. And even if Joe Biden says that he doesn't want it to happen, Why is he so aligned with the people who are surrounding him, including Bernie Sanders, and including his running mate, Kamala Harris, and the women who she's associated with, known as the squad? These are people who actually have money, a lot of money. But yet, they are interested in the socialism model. Well, if you have to give up their, uh, your money for the socialistic government that they want to implement, here's a question for you. Are they going to give up theirs? If everybody's money goes into a general fund and the government decides how it's allocated out, do you really believe that people are going to give up their millions or billions? Is Mr. Gates going to give up his fortune for a socialist government or Mr. Zuckerberg or the man who owns Amazon? Are any of those people who are pushing on that side of the political aisle, are they going to be a participant equal to us? Because what I hear is that people who are for socialism want the equality. Well, I don't even know what equality means because all of us are unique. So there is no such thing as equality. That's like if a parent says, I love all of my children equally. 
No, you don't. You love all of them, but you love each one of them differently. And you can't quantify it. You just love all of your children. And they, you've got a sweet spot. It's different with each one of them. <clears throat> so how is it that we discern about the candidate? Well, one of the things that I've had people say to me is, I don't understand why, why, why would you support a capitalist government? Don't you want everybody to have health care? Don't you want everybody to have education? Don't you want everybody to have an opportunity? Yeah. That's why I support capitalism. Because not only does everybody get education, not only does everybody get health care, but everybody has equal opportunity to become as great, as prolific, as abundant as they can possibly imagine. So the idea, see, there's an irony here that people who are talking to me about their socialism, about their extreme left democratic perspective that capitalism is bad, a lot of them are sitting there with bank accounts, investment accounts, real estate, and protected wealth. Okay. Under what system did you obtain all that? Capitalism. So if we have If we have a a socialistic society, you think that none of that is going to change? No, that won't change. We'll just be more generous. Okay. I don't know another nation anywhere in the world that has the generosity of heart, of money, of people resources, of time and energy, more than the United States of America as a capitalist nation. Stop and think about it. How many times have you heard about people uh, signing up and lining up to go with our charities to any, any place in the world that is either under attack from the weather, you know, a tsunami, a hurricane, a typhoon, or a war, an invasion? You know, why did we go to Afghanistan? Because the Russians were moving into the mountains surrounding Afghanistan. The Afghanis were afraid. And so we went to go and, and help. That's what we do. That's what the United States of America is so greatly known for and admired for. And it is amazing. Absolutely spectacular amazing. So what is it about the United States of America that is so objectionable? What is it about our system that is so objectionable? People have the right to vote. People can get government help. People can get small business loans and small business administration help. That's also government help. You can go to state schools or you can decide to go to private schools. You can practice your faith anytime you want, anywhere you want, any faith you want. Except now, of course, during this lockdown, during this odd stage in our history. It's awful. I look at the picture, 
And I think to myself, as much as I miss my mom and dad, who died in 1995 and 2009, I, I cross myself as a practicing Catholic and say, thank you, God. Thank you that my mom and dad are not here to witness the annihilation of the country that they had worked and lived for and served for in World War II. They taught me to value what it is that we can do here. You know, the reality is that we have an amazing capacity for love here in America. Now, I like to look at things optimistically. So I'm saying that for 2020 with this this virus, this China virus, <clears throat> we've been taught how to rewash our hands, how not to sneeze and cough on one another, how to keep some interpersonal space around ourselves. That's all a part of decency and etiquette. I think that the mandate and the fear that has come with it is horrifying. Do you know that around the world, there have been around 2 million deaths from the coronavirus? And that is if they've been appropriately diagnosed without false positives. That is also if they have been diagnosed as the primary cause of death and not the things that were comorbidities. Comorbidities meaning those other diseases of which there are so many are what really killed the person. You know, if you're sickly, you're a great host for something else to latch on to you because you're weak. And so your weakened immune system just can't defend against another invader. So if we have 2 million people around the world, the entire planet, who have died from the coronavirus in the United States, we're right around 200,000 people who have died of the coronavirus. The majority of people around the world have recovered from the coronavirus, the China virus. 200,000 here in the United States. How many, how many abortions have there been here in the United States this year? Look it up and you come back and you tell me. Because those numbers are actually pretty frightening when you take a look at them. Here's the next question I have for you. In terms of what it is that we think is happening with this virus, in terms of this two million lives around the world. You know what number I turn to? In World War II, how many Jews were extinguished? Do you remember that number? It's a number I will never forget. Six million. Why is it that no one is reminding us of that historical fact Why aren't the Jewish people standing up and screaming and saying, excuse me, Jewish lives matter, and six million of us were annihilated, murdered in World War II by the Nazis? Friends, these are realities of our history. Horrible things happen. 
And they happen, not overnight, but it's a slow building momentum. It is a slow accumulation of one activity on top of the next, on top of the next. I started getting concerned about our country losing its American identity and its true, authentic American core about 20 years ago when as a a younger PhD, I was out and I was in the community. I'm working with schools and school districts. And as I'm in the schools and I'm there in the mornings when the bell rings and the children are coming in, I'm asking, when do they say the Pledge of Allegiance? Where's the American flag in the classroom? When are they singing the Star Spangled Banner or My Country Tis of Thee or America the Beautiful? Oh, we don't do that anymore. How did that happen? Why did that happen? And why is it that people started arguing at about that same time about, well, we have to change the money because it says in God we trust? Why? We came here for religious freedom. And we can't. Because of our ancestry, somehow magically, we're not allowed to say, in God, we trust anymore. We're not allowed to put our hand over our heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Would you and the listening audience even know the words by heart for the Pledge of Allegiance? Could you sing America the Beautiful or My Country Tis of Thee or the Star Spangled Banner by heart? Where your mind and your heart are in coherence. And you can belt out those words because they mean so much to you. When did all that happen? When did we decide that anything goes in our culture, that we didn't any longer have to pay attention to decency in terms of politeness and etiquette? When did teachers lose their authority in the classroom? When did... When did teachers start getting blamed for the the bad behavior of the children being sent to the schools? When did parents lose accountability for the children that they were sending into the schools? And when is it that we started seeing a shift in the media where they were no longer the commentators that were the journalism, where all the facts were checked, but they're people who are celebrities who are yelling and interrupting one another. We've lost our decency. Okay, Ron is here. He rang the door, and I am rang the bell, and I'm having him come in here. <clears throat> Good afternoon, sir. So, look, I've been trying to get on this thing, but it's not working for some reason. It only works on my cell phone. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, no. That's okay. Do you have Zoom downloaded on your thing? Yeah. Yapping. 
I've been yapping the whole time. I came in here and I've been talking on our behalf and talking about how America has slipped away. I've been watching it erode for 20 years and asking questions and shame on me. I didn't believe that our freedoms were really truly at stake. I believe it now. And my fingers are crossed too. It seems like Americans got lulled to sleep, you know, poor diet, you know, entitled, you know, just, we just kind of got shorter, heavier, and complacent. Yeah, complacent. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm thrilled that you're here because I really wanted the dialogue with us today. I woke up this morning, Ron, at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was trying to figure who among my buddies were, might be up. <laughs> I wanted to text. You know, it was like, I, I don't have the audacity to call anybody, but do I have the audacity to text anybody? And I thought, no, I don't. It's sickening. I don't want to wake anybody else up. What, what time was it your time again? Two o'clock. In the morning? Yes. Would have been one o'clock for you. I think sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and just to, like, what I don't like to do is wake up and think about work. So what right. I'll do is I'll get on my social media for 10 minutes just to kind of, like, distract my brain. Yeah. Thinking about work. Right. And then I'll try to go back to sleep. Okay, good. I'll social media you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm into some kind of mojo with this. I yesterday, you know, it was like, okay, I'm okay. This is, you know, and then this morning I woke up and I thought at two o'clock, I thought, okay, you are ridiculous. You you, and I talked to myself, like I, I, like I talked to babies. Okay, now listen, it is dark out. It is night, night time. You close your little sweet eyes and you put your head back down on that pillow. I'm putting a blankie up over you. You make night, night more. And so I did. <laughs> okay, night, night. And I slept till about 3.30. You know, it's funny because you're making me think of an idea, which you always do. You always simulate <laughs> ideas. But, Great. Um, I'm not, you know. All these apps that have been popping up, imagine if there was an app that was called the, I don't want to call it the graveyard app, but, but you know, but it's the nighttime app that when you wake up, it's designed to refocus you back to peaceful sleep and not worry. When most people wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing they do is they go to their worries yep. and then they can't go back to sleep. Yep. But imagine if they went to this app. And it was a worry-free message kind of a thing that just really pointed you back to sleep for the right reasons. Like, okay, God, it's like when your baby wakes up and thinks they saw a boogeyman and you come in and prove that right. there's no boogeyman and go back to sleep. <laughs> so this would be the adult version of that. <laughs> okay. I, I know exactly what it's called and I know exactly what you're talking about. And I have a brain science app, uh, application for us that we can do. Yep. This is right up your alley because you're, you're the trained expert here. I'm not. Well, we're doing it together, so this is a 50-50 deal. I can't do it without you, and I'm going to convince you that you can't do it without me. <laughs> I, I'm telling you what. 
it is, I use science with myself in the middle of the night. I do because I have to, because if I don't, I am, I am too weird during the day. So I was up, I woke up at three thirty, and I just, I, I couldn't go back to sleep. Well, when you wake up, just let me know, be honest. Do you sometimes, does your mind find its way to worry when you wake up in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah, right away. Isn't that the worst? Yeah, absolutely. I don't like it. And then I remember, here's the worst part of it. I remember when I was married, I would wake up, my husband would be sleeping, you know, he's sleeping right next to me, he'd be snoring. Now, a lot of people wake up and they hate their mate because they're made of snoring. They get up and they, like, kick them or, you know, something. I figured out how to rub his, his tummy and just make it wiggle a little bit, and he would just stop. Or I would just, like, wiggle on the bed, and he would just stop. Just a little bit of motion, he'd stop. And then after a while, what I realized was that there was going to come a day when he would be gone, because he was about 20 years older than me, and, and, and I would miss that snoring. So I would gently put my hands, see one another, I'd put my hands under his pillow and I'd pull him closer to me and I'd really listen to his snoring. So this is a really kind of a corny story with a really nice ending to it. That snoring, I have it planted in my head and when I get really worried, I play it. And it was, it was very lulling. And as a matter of fact, the way that he snored was kind of like a puppy or a kitty. And so it was real, as opposed to some, you know, hog-like. <laughs> exactly. And that, that actually is, 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 you know, dorked out as I feel when I tell this story. It, it makes me feel uh, the neurons firing from a happy time in my life. It, it causes me to remember those memories, and, and I don't feel solo. I feel visited, and then I start to say to myself, see, it's okay. It's all right. I don't need to worry. And in addition to having that presence of this person beside me, I'm, I'm surrounded by these memories, which are lovely. And then I remember being a baby and being in a crib and having my mommy and daddy come in and talk to me about going to sleep. And then, and then I start to pray, and I start to think, dear God, you've given me all of this. Why am I worried? There you go. Where is well, my that, faith? That reminds me of a joke. Um, there's three <laughs> people were talking and see who had the best memory. Okay. And one, one kid says, I remember the day I was born. And the other two went, whoa. <laughs> so the second one goes, I remember playing around in my mom's belly.
can we use that as an omen so it's not the calm before the storm? It's just the calm that's now overcome. Yeah, it's the calm that's overcome the country. It's the calm before the calm. There you go. So I have been watching last night. I watched television all night. That president of the United States, Mr. Trump, had 50,000 people showing up to see him. He finished his last event. He was going to do five events. He did a sixth one, or he was supposed to do four and did a fifth one. Either way, he did five or six events yesterday. He finished at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's um, a stark difference than, than Biden's campaign were. And it's so funny because they're showing Biden, they stand there yelling like there's millions of people right. out there and there's like 12 people out there. And exactly. Six of hearing aids and it was just it's pretty interesting. And and I saw one, he was in, I think he was in Pennsylvania, <clears throat> and he was in a neighborhood, and they were um, row houses, uh, brick row houses, you know, two flats, and he had a bunch of people on the steps, just at one, to come together closer, so it looked like there were a lot of people. There were maybe 60 people there. Watching the news, they have him winning. And those are all suppression concepts. Um, I love he was in Philadelphia. He goes, and I even got my Philadelphia Eagles jacket on, and it was some other college book. <laughs> and just nobody honks, nothing. Yeah, it was uh, dead quiet. Know, at the end of the day, I kind of feel sorry for him because he can't seem to pull it together right now. And it's like, this is like, you know, if you believe in God, then, you know, it's like he's being stupefied during this time, you know. Um, his tongue is tied, and can't seem to pull it out when he needs to in terms of thought. And so uh, I feel sorry for him because I don't like when they campaign, you know, they lead their campaign and how senile he's becoming. Uh, I think it's a legitimate argument to say he's not fit for the office, but, you know, God bless him and, you know, that kind of message. Well, I'll tell you what, excuse me, the thing I like about what I'm seeing about President Trump right now He's talking. There is no teleprompter. He doesn't need it. He's talking. He's enthused, but he's got he's got a beautiful tone in his voice about what it is that he's saying. And there, thank you. That is exactly what it is, Ron. There is a piece there that I haven't seen before. And I'll tell you, part of what it's doing for me is it's giving me tremendous confidence. Yeah, the, the thing that I tend to like about it, and I'm not sure everybody can see this, is that he's perfectly, very imperfect, but he's perfectly imperfect. And mm-hmm. he just rambles and says things he probably shouldn't say, but at the same time, if you read between the lines, the guy's, A, working his tail off. Oh, my gosh. B, telling the world that I'm not a politician. I, I'm really just here to fight for you. That's his message. And yeah. politicians are fighting for each other. They're fighting for each other's agendas. They're fighting for power. They're fighting for money. They're fighting for clout. And so if you read Trump's message, forget about all the ridiculous things he might throw in the middle of that, but his message is, hey, I'm working my butt off. I'm working for you. I'm not a politician. I'm not shiny. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. And I think people are finding that 
I think people are finding it. I think you're exactly uh, correct, wordsmithing it perfectly. I, I, I agree 100%. And you know what? Here's what really amazes me. He, there is no other leader in the world, but particularly in the United States of America, who comes into office and during the first year, they all look raggedy. By the time it's the second or third year, they've got gray hair. They got more wrinkles. They're looking more down. This guy is looking younger, snappier, more fit. He's doing the stairs like I would like to. And and he's he's vibrant, and he keeps up this pace. I had to laugh so hard yesterday because I heard him say, somebody said, how are you feeling? He said, I feel great. As a matter of fact, I'm perfectly healthy. As a matter of fact, I'm a perfect specimen. And I thought, oh, my God, you are a perfect specimen. Uh, he said that because CNN was ripping on how he walked down some stairs once. And so he decided just to give him some news, you know, some sound bite. I'm a perfect specimen. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the thing, the thing that I look at is right now across America, Ron, there's a boarding up. There's a boarding up. And people are writing on the outsides of many of their boards. I support, we support BLM because they're hoping that that means that those people won't rip into their buildings. And, and they're, you know, like Rodeo Drive in California has hired 60 or 80 private security to protect that area in Chicago. In, in Chicago downtown, they've got we have we have got what? You have Democrats pretending to be Republicans so they can be rioters and looters. They're they're telling the Democrats to dress up like cops. You know the looters and the and the Antifa. They're saying dress like cops. Dress wear MAGA M A G A hats. Oh, they are. Well, yeah. When you go disrupt, disguise yourself as red. So they're doing that so they can riot and tear things down. Republicans are pretending to be Democrats so somebody won't burn their buildings down. Isn't that funny? Oh, my Lord. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Ironic. Horrifying. And I want to I start running right now and run down that road that's right behind you over your head. You uh, you look kind of like an Antifa member, so be very careful. You look rough, you know. <laughs> like you got a good arm. <laughs> yeah. When I was when I was on a softball team, and my my softball front mates would say to me, "Good eye, good eye." When I was up to bat, I'd look at him like, "What are you talking about? I got two of them." <laughs> good arm. I got two good arms. So I. I am so moved by how this man is is talking about the nation. And, and so on the boarding up piece, do you know that the White House has built a white wall around the perimeter of the property of the White House? Because they have, they have their intelligence is telling them, you're going to be under siege. Well, I wish they would do it differently. I wish they wouldn't put the wall up because the wall says, come and get us. I wish they would just be ready for them with pellet guns or gun guns or smoke guns or water guns or paint guns. I don't care what kind of gun, but I hope Trump wins and I hope our National Guard and our military takes out anybody who's going to be unruly, burn, steal, 
they're stealing TVs and stuff, it has nothing to do with politics. They're just it has everything to do with them seeing an opportunity to go steal and feeling justified to steal things. Absolutely. And the idea that looters won't be prosecuted because they're only taking what they need. Okay, well, I need a Rolex as well and a Prada bag and Ferragamo shoes and Gucci. You know, how is it that these people all know what is really valuable in addition to what they're doing to Target and all the other stores? I would get, I would get night diapers. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <that's funny. laughs> running out with Yeah, it's kind of amazing. You don't see that. How come that's not part of the formula? So tell me, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? You said you're you're going to go vote. I'm going to vote. I'm taking my boys to karate, and I'm going to vote, and then I'm going to glue myself to the television tonight and see what happens. Me too. Me too. Yeah, I've got a couple of cold beverages that are Yeah, yeah. I thought it was the invitation. But what they did is they stood during the national anthem 
but they took a knee on the first play, and it seemed appropriate. They're like, okay, you compromised the play. You didn't compromise your country, and um, that was classy. But, you know, I think the NBA learned a really hard lesson this year. They got all behind the Black Lives Matter, which, come on, it was a stupid move, and their attendance was 25% of what it was last year. 25%. Hallelujah. Now, what does that tell you about the vote? What does that alone tell you about the vote? I hope to God it is. I don't believe that we're going to lose. I'd like to see us win by a landslide. I also, I I don't believe that, well, I'll tell you what, we're hitting some hot buttons here today. Because we've we've got people holding on the phone. We had a line of people calling in. And by the way, as you're sitting out there, we don't take calls because we don't have an engineer. And even when we did have an engineer, they don't have a time delay. So it is really live. So if we take if we take a call, it's right out here. And people can do all kind of things we have to edit. And I'd prefer not to. Well, I think as I think about this, what you're talking about, a lot of people are taking risks. You know, Pretty said, you know, stepped up for President Trump and little little Will or whatever his name is, little something. Yeah. Uh, little rapper guy, uh, Jorge Masvidal, who's one of the most notorious UFC fighters, also Latin. Really. Stepped up for Trump, and these are powerful people, and, and I think and even the NBA, as much as. Sorry, my phone rang. Even the NBA, as much as I didn't approve of it, you know, you got to you got to give a high five to the courage of the people who stood for what they stand for. It doesn't matter what side you're on, but just to see them stand for what they believe in is inspiring for all of us, you know. And and I showed up as an independent this year because I really wanted to just I didn't want anybody to have a corner on kindness, a corner on equality, a corner on abundance, a corner on safety, a corner on freedom, you know. Uh, a corner on open borders only legally. Nobody has a corner on those things. And so as an independent, I don't have to defend anybody I don't want to defend. I don't have to defend anything I don't want to defend. Mm-hmm. I can just say, hey, where am I seeing that conversation happening? And I, I saw this year, uh, this, this go around with the Trump administration. And Trump isn't my favorite personality in the world, but he's a pretty doggone good president. He is. Yeah, he is. He's a good president. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what. I, um... I am looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I don't believe he's going to lose. I think, I think that he's going to have a landslide win. I hope that it is because I hope that what that delivers to the country overall, a message that we love America. We want to pledge to it and we're going to be, and now we're at the 60 seconds. What's your final words? Congratulations, America, grassroots America, because the media thought they could dwarf us. The, the, the CNN, the news media, all those people, all the movie stars, all of Hollywood, all the politicians, all the false materials, all the propaganda, the Russian thought they could swarm us, and we rose up to the occasion, and I think we'll see tonight what that looks like. Hallelujah. Okay, hang on just a second. I'm going to close this out. This is your host, Ron Williams. 
<laughs> and his co-host, Dr. Deb Carlin. Everybody, everybody stay safe tonight. Oh, yeah, stay safe tonight. Friends, we'll see you here tomorrow. Until then, peace out.